Good to have you here as well. I have friends visiting. Um, they didn't let me know they were coming. Truth is, they probably didn't know how to get in touch with me because they hadn't seen me in years. Um, I think the last time, it's Linda and Sandy back here, and Sandy owned Furniture Showcase. Um, I think we worked probably the early 90s, like 91 or something like that, somewhere around in there. So that's how long it's been since I've seen Linda for sure, I think. Did you, you didn't, that's the last time I saw you? So it's been a while, and I've seen Sandy a couple times there, once at a restaurant and once at a ball game or something, so. But it is good to have them here this morning. Um, they're from my youth. Um, I was a lot younger then. So were they. And uh, time is good to us, isn't it? Aren't you glad that you're still here? Still able to make it. Good to have you here this morning. Uh, we're going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin with verse 12. Uh, before we um, start reading that, though, I just want to ask the Lord to be with us this morning and bless His Scripture. You know, none of us can interpret God's Word for ourselves. We need His Spirit to interpret it for us. Not only does He interpret it, He applies it. Amen? The Holy Spirit applies His Word to our lives right where we're living. So this morning, if you've come expecting to hear from God, you will. Not because I'm preaching, not because I have anything to say, but God's Word is alive, and His Spirit will apply it to your life this morning. Let's ask Him to be with us. Father, our honest desire this morning is that You would come and that You'd be with us. We open up our hearts, our minds this time together to the presence of your Spirit, we ask the Holy Spirit to come and to move in this place, to speak to each of us, to make us more than we ever can be apart from the work you do in our lives. It is your Spirit that quickens and gives life. And we ask, Father, this morning, if there is any deadness in us, that you would expunge it from our lives and give us more and new life, we ask it. Father, we ask it in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Beginning this morning with the 12th verse, let me begin with a preface. Many times this passage is very familiar, and many times you will see that people start with a verse 13 instead of verse 12. You will find out why I want to start there. How many of you know context is important? Amen? Context is important. So we're going to begin with the 12th verse. <clears throat> Therefore, all things whatsoever you would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's quite a statement, isn't it? If you ever wanted to know what God expects from you, it's kind of encapsulated in that one verse. Verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. 
Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, In that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Many times, listening to someone preach on this familiar passage of Scripture, the passage is used to point to the choice each person makes, is called to make, when hearing the gospel. Will that person repent and accept the salvation offered and turn into the narrow gate or will they choose to go their own way and turn into the wide gate that leads to destruction? Now, I certainly believe that it can and should be used in that fashion, but I also want to think that in context, there's another way in which this passage can be viewed. And I want to spend a few moments this morning just talking about that other way. Keep in mind verse 12, because we're going to come back to that. you find Jesus there saying, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now you go from that right into this passage in verses 13 and 14. Very famous passage, the two verses. There are presented here two gates. Two gates. One is a wide gate and one a straight gate. Now the word straight there just simply means narrow or compressed. So there's a wide gate and there's a very narrow compressed gate. There are two paths, a broad path and a narrow path. There are two destinations. 
destruction and life. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 26 through 27, if you look there, you'll see Jesus talks about those, and he says, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Jesus there says that if you listen to what Jesus says, and you don't do them, you are building a house. I want you to hear this. Sometimes people think that when they come to the Lord Jesus and they don't make a decision, then nothing happens. Jesus says that's not what happens. Jesus says when you come to him and you don't make a decision, you're building your house. Each of us needs to view our lives as a work that's going on all through life. It's not, there's never a place in your spiritual life that is static. There's not a place where you can come and hunker down and camp out. You're going to be moving in a direction, one or the other. You're on one of these two paths. Often, though, we don't really think about that because it's easy for us to procrastinate and to think that everything is held off until some distant time when we can make a decision. But Jesus says, that's not the case. When you don't choose the narrow path, you have chosen a path. And you are building a life made on a decision you've made. That's an important distinction. Life is there described as a man who builds a house on a rock. And there are two outcomes for the, for the building that we do on those two foundations. Sometimes we, we don't really like to think about the choices that we make having outcomes unless we're expecting a good outcome. Right? Anybody here ever started a race not expecting to win? How about not expecting to finish? I have, actually. When I was in high school, we had um, a, a, a run that people in track and field, and probably you're familiar with it, it's the 800-yard run. Now, 800-yard run, back then we called them yards. Today it's meters. We've gotten a lot more advanced. But back then it was 800 yards, and that was two laps around the track on the football field, around the football field, two tracks, two laps. I was, a, I was a middle distance runner, but I was the, about to, between the middle, between a 400 and 800. I wasn't good enough to run 400. I wasn't good enough to run 800. So you know what they had me doing? I was a rabbit. And what that means is I would start off the race, and I would lead the pack around that first track. But about halfway around that second lap, I was toast. And it was entirely expected for me just to step off the track. You never do that in life. Every single one of us, when we begin something in life, whether we intend to or not, there is going to be an outcome for your, your decision. You will have something as an outcome. Some of us today have played footloose with God. 
And we think because we haven't made any firm decision, but we've tried to live a pretty good life, that God is okay with that. But that's not what he says. He says you're building a house. And you're either building a house on an infirm foundation, on the foundation of sand, and then when you face tempest in life, and you will fa- how many of you know that you'll face some hard times in life? You'll find yourself needy. You'll find yourself not with what you need to sustain you in that tough time. What's interesting here, though, is that we look at these two paths, and we see that there is another distinction. There are two degrees of difficulty. Now, this is interesting to me. There's two degrees of difficulty. You would think that if it's a bad path, perhaps that means that the terrain is bad. That there are hills and gullies and there are rocks and that there are all kinds of difficulties. And if you go that way, you're going to have a hard time. But that's not how life Arrays these two paths in front of you. Quite the contrary. One of them looks appealing to you. It looks easier to you. It looks like it'd be a cakewalk could go in that direction. Anybody that had any brains would choose that direction because look at how easy it is. You never have to take a tough stand over there. You just go with the flow. While the other path, there's something about it that looks very confining. It just seems like there's, there are not many options over there. You just, you just have to, you're, you're constrained all the time. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? That path looked that way to me. That's the reason I ran from God. That's the reason some of you may have run from God. Maybe you're still running today. Because the path God wants you to choose looks like it's a tough path. It looks hard. You know why it looks that way? Because it's a tough path. It's hard. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, why is it hard? That's the question, isn't it? I mean, why is the one path easy? Well, you think about it for a moment. When you go that path, you just do whatever you want to do. Boy, that's easy, isn't it? I mean, we don't, there's nothing asked of you except for the things that you don't want to do. Like, you don't want to go to church, so no problem. Go this path. Nobody's going to give you a hard time about going to church. Go this path. Well, what are my options as far as having fun? The sky's the limit. Just whatever you want to do. You can do anything you want on that path until it's too late that appeals to you. There's no denial on that path. You just go for for the gusto. Amen? It's a good term, isn't it? But you know what the other path is all about? Self-denial. That's the reason it's so hard. 
Because that means you have, to, you have to do what doesn't appeal to your flesh. You're called to do things that you naturally just don't want to do. You know, as a kid, one of the things that was most curious to me, when I, as soon as I got old enough to start doing jobs and getting paid for it, you remember what it was like when you're about 8, 10 years old, and you're looking for people in your neighborhood that, maybe an old lady, can't mow her yard. And so you offer to do it for her for a fee. Anybody remember those kind of things? You know what I had a problem with? I found out that what I really wanted to do, there was something inside of me that wanted to do it for free. But it wasn't expected that I would do it for free. I should, I should charge because my time is worth something. But I found out that when I did it for free, there was something inside of me that just thought that was wonderful. I mean, I just had this feeling I couldn't get any other way. Well, that's a curious thing to me because it seems like what I should have felt good about was getting a big paycheck. And for me, a big paycheck was five bucks. Hey, man, 1960, five bucks was a big paycheck for me. What's going on in a person's heart where that, at a very young age, you realize there's, a, there's something going on in the world that you really don't understand? At a very early age, you begin to realize there are two paths in front of you. One you can choose that just goes the way of the world where you, you just look out for number one. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks or what they need. You are in this just for you. So you go for that. And you reap the benefits. Maybe you accumulate money and you amass a fortune and maybe you have all the things that you thought you would ever possibly want. You have the nice home, you have the big cars, and you, you have all the stuff. And yet there's this sense that your life has no meaning at all, that there's something drastically wrong and missing in your life. And for those people, they get to the end of that journey and they find out that their life looking back has all been for nothing because they've got nothing that matters when they come face to face with death. It's the pathway that leads to destruction. We haven't talked about sin. We haven't listed a bunch of things that you shouldn't do. We're talking about an understanding of what life should mean to us. Why God made us a certain way. Why there are two paths in life. And what is it that God wanted us to understand? When you live for yourself, and you get to the end of that journey, what you will find out is that you have little left of yourself and nothing else. You've used up yourself and you've squandered yourself and you've done all the things that you thought would fulfill you and you find out that it's all for nothing. And you're left with not much of yourself 
and nothing to show for it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Be careful of the paths in your, in your future. There's a decision you must make, and it all hinges on whether you understand that God has made you to be a giver. How do you know that? Well, he sent somebody here to earth to show us what life should look like, didn't he? And the first thing that he did was he stepped out of glory. And he gave up all that he had with the Father. And he humbled himself. And he became a man. And if that wasn't good enough, he said, Father, I'll give my life for those who have nothing to give. And he did just that. He stepped out of glory, humbled himself, and then humbled himself further to the cross. And he died for you and me. And then he says, Go thou and do likewise. Because that's the path in front of you. Now, it doesn't sound appealing. No man with any brains would say, listen, I have, I have two options in front of you. One is to choose all that the world offers or the cross. And what sane man chooses the cross? Only a man who knows what's at stake. Oh, it's heaven. Yeah, that's, that's at stake. But there's much more than heaven at stake. There is a fulfilling life at stake. It's being in this life, being offered the opportunity to know what it's like to be fulfilling God's reason for your existence. What a wonderful thing that is. What a, what a beautiful gift God has given us. Should you choose it, but it will mean that you stop living for yourself. You start, stop just looking for what's in it for you. And you begin to look at your brothers and sisters. And I'm not talking about the world here. Please understand. You must love. By the way, as a pastor, I've run into some strange things. I had somebody come to me once and they were having marital problems. And he said to me, he says, I, I just don't love my wife anymore. And I said, well, that's, 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 that's too bad. Well, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, let me see this right. The, uh, the Bible says that you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, yeah, I know it says that, but I, I just don't love my wife. I, I don't love her anymore. Well, let's go one step farther. The Bible says that you've got to love your enemies. Is your wife your enemy? No. Then you need to do some checking up on yourself. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? Don't come and tell me you don't have problems because, boy, you've got some problems. Some of us are like that, aren't we? We approach life kind of like that. Lord, I want, I want all that you have for me, but I want what I want too. Can we work this out? 
And the Lord says, you don't understand. I know what's good for you. And if you go your way, you're going to find destruction. You're going to run off the bridge into the chasm and you'll never be seen again. And that's not what I have for you. Remember that verse? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I I like that verse. And I want you to see that Jesus, this is Jesus talking, and Jesus is not talking to the world. He's talking to us. This is just us here, okay? This is in the church. The church needs to learn to love each other. But more than that, how many of you know it's easy to love somebody in word? Anybody ever said, I love you to somebody? Mm, might not be exactly true. Come on. Have you ever? Anybody ever done it? Just me? You know, you say things, oh, I love you, love you. Just as soon as you go around the corner, you go, You don't know what they did to me. They don't treat me right. They took something from me and they've never even talked about it. It was my job in this church. And boy, they took my job. Your job? Yeah, my job. Amen. Oh, I still love them though. Really? How so? Jesus wants us to understand that, that loving each other is a lot more than just words. And he says, notice, whatsoever that you want men to do to you, for you, you should do to and for others. That means maybe the position that you wish you had and somebody else is being voted in, you actually love them and support them and pray for them and encourage them and work with them and try to make them successful at the thing you wish you were doing. Really? Isn't that hypocritical? Not according to the Lord. Do you think the Lord doesn't know you have desires? Do you think it's a lie? you think it's wrong to have desires? Let me ask you something. I'm going to put it a different way. If you have a desire for something and it's not fulfilled, instead someone else gets that, and then you support them, what do you think the Lord thinks about that? He knows what you wanted. Do you think you can fool him? Well, I really wanted that, but the Lord doesn't know about it, so... No, he knows exactly what you want. But what may he be trying to figure out or want you to figure out about this situation? If you're not willing to support the one I place there, why would I place you there? Amen? I mean, part of what you must learn so that you're a reasonable candidate for that position is that you need to be a supporter before you're the one people support. Amen? Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't God want you to know that? course he does I wanted to be Billy Graham I ain't there yet 
And I'm going to tell you something, it's not looking good. What do I do with that? Well, I have to be okay with it. It's just fine. I mean, I haven't attained to some things that when I was 40 years younger, I was looking at. But what God has given me is grace for where I'm at. That's a, that's a sign of maturing. It's a place where I'm okay with where God has me. Is it where I was thinking I might be? No. But as I've moved through, God has shown me there are places where you're good and there are places where that's not a good fit for you. What, what, if, if I was Billy Graham, I might have lost it all. Because I started thinking, man, I made it. Amen? That would not be good for me. See, God knows who you are, and He wants you to be all that He's made you to be. He created you, and He knows what your potential is, and He wants you to have the full full measure of your potential expressed in the kingdom. But that's a process. And it's a process that some of us may never reach because we rebel against His plan for us. You can't do that. This path of dis- that leads to destruction. Why is it difficult for people to make the choice? We've touched on that a little bit, but I want to go a little bit of a different direction. This is church, isn't it? So I want to talk about why is it difficult for church people when they approach this choice? Why is it difficult? Why is Jesus warning people that you're going to reach a place where you're called to make a decision? And it may be this place where you're called to be a servant, and that is not okay with you. Or you're called to give up something about yourself, your own wishes. Um... I want to turn that corner a little bit. What if, what if the thing Jesus is talking about is that it's safer for us to choose to live regulated lives than it is to have freedom in the Spirit? Now, that's a different toast, turn here. I want you to stay with me for a minute. Churches have um, membership commitments. Anybody know what those are? Um, membership requirements, uh, things that you have to do. If you want to be a member here, then this is something you have to do. If, if a church had a requirement that men couldn't wear short sleeves, oh, somebody, I saw somebody, Tanya's going. Anybody remember when that was true? I do. I have, I have uh, friends in churches right now where the men don't wear short sleeves. Now, when you look at that as a rule for ch- church membership, the church is trying to do one thing, and potentially the members who commit to that may be doing something else. We all have church memberships. Y'all remember Wesleyans Don't Drink? We changed that, by the way, so if you didn't know. 
But these commitments were made because the church is expressing something that they're trying to deal with. They want the church body to think about. But the church body often has a tendency to take it a step farther. Now, if I, there's a commitment that you can't wear, you have to be a, a, you can't wear short sleeves if you're a man. Well, what happens is the men in the church, they all have to commit that, and they do. But it isn't long until there are some men in the church who say, I don't ever wear anything but long sleeves. And if you haven't come to that place yet, you just don't have the light. What are they doing? When I was about 13 years old, this would have been 1965, something like that, 65, 66. In our church, little Wesleyan church in Atlanta, it was right at the beginning where people were letting their hair start to grow. And mine had grown out enough to where there was a ducktail on the back of my hair. You know, it's like your, your hair just flipped up a little bit back there on the back. And I went to church one, after, one evening, Wednesday night service, with black jeans on and my hair that way. And I had somebody meet me in the parking lot and tell me that I was going to hell because I had on tight black jeans and I had long hair. Now, he was good-intentioned, but it was hurtful. Not so much to me, because I was a kid and I just, you know, that's nuts. But my dad was hurt by it, because he loved me. And my dad was a strict disciplinarian. He was well able to tell me what was okay and not okay. But for somebody to come and do that, he thought they overstepped boundaries. Now, my point here is not the right or wrong of him in particular. But churches have membership commitments that can be construed by the people as means by which they judge each other and they judge others. That's legalism. However, the church has a reason for establishing those membership rules. And what they're trying to do is address real problems they know the church may be faced with. And so whenever they say men need to wear long sleeves, what are they really saying? That men need to be modest too. Now I know none of you ladies have ever looked at somebody's man's elbow and said, that's a nice elbow. <laughs> but there is, a, there is something going on here. They made those kinds of commitments about the woman who has to have her dress three inches below the knees. What are they saying? Don't turn that in a means by which you battle among yourself or you judge each other. They're trying to address an issue. Is modesty important? Yes, it is. So the question here is, when you're faced with those kind of situations, what you ought to hear is, God's saying, will you give up your rights so that you're helping someone else? Will you give up what you have a freedom to do so that you don't hinder someone else? Because 
that's loving someone else more than yourself. Churches don't like that because everybody likes to have freedom to do what they want. And by the way, freedom to do what you want to do is God-given. God gave you that right. But he asked you this, will you bring that right in so that it's an expression of love for other people? Will you not do what hinders someone? Will you do what edifies someone? Because that's the life of Christ in the church. The ideal church should not have to have any membership requirements except one. Be like Jesus. Be like Him. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who gave Himself. You do that, then you've chosen the right path. Until you do that, you're on the pathway that leads to destruction. Now, I want you to hear that. This is not about... I'm not saying here about salvation or being in rebellion against God. I'm talking about as members, there is a pathway that leads to destruction in context and a pathway that leads to life. And the pathway to life is that you live a life like Jesus did and you give yourself for it. And I wish I had time because I could give you a bunch of Scripture to back that up. And if anybody wants any, you see me and I'll let you see what I'm talking about. There is bunches of biblical injunctions that lead us to believe that the only life that is a reflection of what a Christian should look like is the life of Christ, where you give up your rights so that others are edified. That is the difference between the two houses. What are you building your church on? You can have all kinds of plans. You can have great pastors who preach really good. You can have people here that have lots of fellowship together. You can do all kinds of fun stuff. But if you're not preferring others more than yourself, you have not yet chosen the right path as a body of believers. And that that is mandatory if you would know the blessing of God as a group of believers. There is no other path. Give you one other suggestion, just to show you what I mean. Remember the, the rich young ruler? Good master, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of heaven. What do I have to do? You have the law and the prophets. Keep the commandments. Well, I've done that since I was a youth. Amen. If you want to, you want somebody that looks good in church, that'd be me. Well, there's one more thing. I just, I just thought of one more thing for you. Take all that you have and sell it and give to the poor and follow me. And he went away sorrowing because he made a choice to choose the broad way that let him do what he wanted to do, and that's keep all his stuff instead of being willing by the way sometimes when you're willing and you give everything to God he's then 
able to give it back to you because he knows he can trust you with it. Amen? You're not trustworthy if you're not willing to give it to him. He doesn't need servants that hoard his blessings for themselves. He needs servants who, on the blessings God's give them, have a very loose hand. Lord, you require this. It's yours. By the way, the New Testament for, for giving in the New Testament is not 10%. It's everything. Amen? It's not, you don't tithe 10% in the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying you, you can give 10% if you want to. But the truth is, what Jesus has said is that all that you have, you must give to me. Everything that you are is mine. You've been bought with a price. Does that sound familiar? So you need to give up. Your will, your way, what you desire, give it to him. One of, one of the prayers that I pray, and I'll just say this in closing, one of the prayers I pray is, Lord, you know, the Bible says that God would give us the desires of our heart. Now, some people go, well, boy, I've got a long list, Lord. I'm waiting. I take that a little differently. My prayer is, Lord, give me righteous desires so that you can fulfill them and bring glory and honor to your name because I don't want anything that isn't good for me. Lord, only you know what's good for me. So, Lord, give me righteous desires. Give me desires for what you think is important for me. Because that's a place I know I can live and please you. I hope you take some of this home with you. Think about what God would have you to do and what it means to be a, a fellow believer in this body of believers what God's calling you to be. When Pastor Chris comes, what will he receive as a body of believers to pastor? What is he coming to pastor to lead? Is it people who've given up all that they are so that the Lord Jesus Christ may receive honor and glory? Is the King of Kings reigning supreme here? Are there a bunch of little dictators here who want to tell God how, to, how they want to live? The choice is ours, isn't it? There's two paths before us. Choose this day whom you will serve, yourself or the Father through the Son. You done? Okay. Let's all stand. <clears throat> Father, we thank you this morning. We're so thankful that you come and that you speak to us, that you're sweet whisper in our ears causes us to move in your direction. That you don't just leave us alone, but that, Lord, all through our lives, your Spirit is wooing us and asking us to climb higher toward you. So, Father, this morning as your Word has been given, we, we just pray, Lord, that you'd apply it to our lives. And we thank you, Father, because we know your Spirit is always faithful. He's about your business in our lives, and we're thankful for that. Go with each of us, Father. I pray that you'd bless us, encourage us, give us strength for the journey, and bring glory and honor to your name in all that we're about in this week, we ask in Jesus' name. God bless you. Go in the strength and the power of the Lord Jesus. Amen.